godlings and welcome back to another week of the american gods podcast we're your hosts i'm sarah and with me of course is michael hello everybody so i thought we'd start the episode off just because i know we have quite a few new listeners it, you know the date's looming and more people are checking the podcast out that i would just you know let you guys know where you can check us out uh, we are mostly out on the Twitter world. Um, that's where I frequent most. Uh, it's at American Gods Pod. Uh, if you want to give any feedback or reach out to us, you know, anything at all, you can do so by sending in an email to uh, American Gods Podcast at gmail.com. Um, you know, an email or voicemail, either is totally cool. Uh, we're also out on Facebook, the American Gods Podcast. And we have a Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash freaking geeks. That's kind of our main hub. And, of course, we have our website, www.americangodspodcast.com. So, yeah, I know quite a few of you are new, so if you would like to check us out you know, on our social medias, feel free. We, you know, we love feedback of any kind. Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, uh, we have uh, Patreon being the, the place that we kind of work out of now. We have our website, of course, but Patreon is a place that you can go to. You can check us out if you're not familiar with Patreon. It's um, a place where artists can go to. They, it's, it's like a wide variety of artists. It doesn't have to be podcast. It could be a lot of things. People do videos, video blogs. Other people do uh, just a variety of things, graphic design, comic book artists, all that. And what this site allows people to do is uh, go there and check out people's work, regardless of what it is. And if it's something that you support, if you like what they do, you can subscribe to their whatever their podcast or whatever happens to be um, they often uh, offer varying levels of subscriptions you get uh, certain things for each level and what you're really doing is you're supporting the podcast or whoever you are in our case you would be supporting us uh, there are cost overheads there are things that you know uh, I mean there's just cost when it comes to doing a podcast things that uh, we have to do and so it allows us to kind of not have to worry about putting ads into our podcast you know you've heard them you know Casper and you know all kinds of ads on podcast it allows us to not have to do that so if you support the podcast you know you're helping us out and it helps us out in the long run and to bring you the kind of content that we want to deliver so uh, go ahead and check that out and uh, definitely get a hold of us twitter email all kinds of stuff uh, that's kind of what we do and don't forget to go to itunes we like reviews of course like anybody yeah. would with a podcast so <laughs> if you could rate us review us tell us what you think be honest you know you don't have to give us five stars you can give us whatever you feel we deserve and um, you know rate us it helps us out in the itunes store it raises the profile of our podcast so that would be very much appreciated so okay yeah, absolutely. And we haven't uh, gotten a first review yet on the podcast. Um, I've only looked at Canada and the U.S. So if you are from another country and have reviewed, let us know and we'll check it out. But those are the, just the two that I actually check out. So, yeah, if you yeah. want to be the first. <laughs> right. Yeah. We've yeah. been doing this podcast for about a year now. And yeah, so, I looked and we did our first podcast um, May 31st last year. Yep. Right. So <laughs> crazy. We're not, that, we're not that far away. We're almost a year in. Uh, we were the first American Gods podcast out there, and uh, we wanted to be. So we got a real jump on it. <laughs> right, we did. We were like, you want to get a jump on this. You know, we know this is going to be a big deal. We know the fandoms out there. We know how much people love this book, and the fact that it was being adapted by some place like Stars and with a cast that they've assembled. 
I knew and Brian Fuller be, at the yeah. show. <laughs> and we follow him everywhere. So yeah, we knew it was yeah. going to be big. That's why we created this podcast and started it so early. Yeah, exactly. Um, so should we just get right into news? Because there's not you know too much out there. It's just like new spotlights and whatnot. But basically, yeah, it's news isn't. There's not a lot to come out right before the show. Just like little clips and stuff like that. So I thought we'd talk about those. Sure, let's go ahead. All right. So let's see. There was a new little snippet for Bilquis out. Um, it's you know, basically just her talking about worshipping the goddess of love, and it's just that image of her uh, that came out with the OMG poster, um, and also the, you know, <laughs> classic moment of her on the bed, and you just get, like, two more seconds of that, but it's still pretty cool to look at. Right. What do you think? We're getting, yeah, it was, it was fine, you know. We know what we're getting now with these uh. little promos, <laughs> right? We get, like, you know, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, something, you know, and... Uh, it tends to not be much more than we're already getting, which I understand, right? Because I, they don't want to ruin, ruin what is going to be coming by yeah. you know, giving too much away. In this age of like movie trailers, for instance, where by the time you hit your third or fourth movie trailer, you don't even have to go watch the movie because <laughs> you've already seen yeah, right? everything uh, that matters, any real substance, anything, any of the twists. Or Sometimes you'll watch a trailer as you get to a point. I mean, it's true. Sometimes you actually get to a point where you kind of know exactly how the movie's going to play out. You almost don't even care to go. And yeah. uh, I, I like the restraint. You know, they're putting stuff out there. They're giving us some stuff without overplaying their hand, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like a good example that came out recently uh, is Beauty and the Beast. I mean, yeah, we all know the story, of course, but it just seems like every week coming up to the release, there's like a new full length clip coming out. And it was just like, don't show us everything. You know, we want to be like magically blown away when it comes out. But that's just kind of Disney. <laughs> and that's kind of what they do. Yeah, that that's a perfect example, uh, really, of of doing a little too much, you know, especially like you said, with a a movie like that where most people have seen it at least one time. If you're a parent, if you're, you've already, hope so. yeah, if you're a parent, you've already watched it probably with your kids at some point when they were a child. Uh, you possibly grew up with it yourself. If you're like, you know, like my age, right, where when this movie came out, I was nine. <laughs> I was nine. So, so for me, it was like kind of like the perfect perfect age for that you know when you're a kid and you're just kind of blown away by the story and the animation and all that so Beauty and the Beast definitely was huge but even if you don't grow up with that it's still a story that most people at least know the basics of and that's where I felt like Disney just went too far they decided well we to keep up this hype machine we have to just keep giving you more stuff it's like, no, you don't have to do that. You can actually hold back a little bit. And we've seen great, <laughs> amazing just marketing campaigns, viral marketing campaigns for very uh, small movies where you're just salivating to watch this movie because you're so you know, enthralled by what you've seen already. But what you've seen has been just enough to get you to want to go to that movie theater and watch it. Now, in the case of Beauty and the Beast, they don't have to do that because you've got a built-in fan base. And that's where I think they, they made the mistake was, you know, trying a little too hard, overplaying their hand, giving away too much, just because it, it's not about the fact that you don't know 
those clips you know what they are probably and you've seen you know exactly what they are i don't want to see that adaptation of that clip from the cartoon we want to wait and be surprised wow i loved how they did that scene uh it was amazing you know that's what you want to see when you watch scenes throughout the movie is i didn't even see that yet and i'm so amazed by it you know yeah, and I think American Gods is doing it right by keeping so very tight-lipped about everything. Their clips are super, super short. I mean, they're 30 seconds long, but you're only getting about 10 seconds of new footage. So they're doing it pretty smart. They're, you know, releasing these tiny little teasers that, you know, it leaves you wanting more. And I love that about the show. Right, exactly. We have two trailers and we have some small little clip stuff like like you said is offering little to no, to nothing you know onto what we already <laughs> know or what we've seen so yeah in the you know the trailer offers a glimpse of stuff across multiple episodes so when we walk into that first episode when that premiere comes we're going to be sitting there watching most of that premiere knowing nothing or at least we haven't seen it yet in any kind of video or digital form of any kind. So that's what I'm really liking about this uh, campaign. It's been very low key and we, (laughs) we know how low key it is or was because (laughs) we suffered through it. Yeah. We suffered through the tedious long months of zero information coming out about this show that we were just like scraping like the the bottom of the barrel for anything right (laughs) so we've suffered through that and god knows like after 12 after 10 episodes we'll be doing it again (laughs) Well, like whenever we would open up uh past episodes with with something along the line of yep no news again (laughs) no news again this week sorry (laughs) Sorry, guys Uh, i thought there'd be something but there wasn't and that became kind of like almost like a running gag for us you know where it was just like oh yeah okay um no news big surprise and i think yeah, one of our episodes was something, you know, like that. I can't remember the title exactly, but it was a reference to, yep, no news, big surprise, you know, but... <laughs> Sucking the marrow out of bones for anything. <laughs> right, and, and that was, you know, that that was awful to get through, but in the long run, it made sense, you know? Yeah, we actually got to do the chapter by chapter and kind of focus on the book more, which was nice. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we also have a, a featurette here with uh, No Gaiman. There's yeah. a yeah. There's a video up. You can probably find it on YouTube. That you can search for it. They've got a couple articles. One on uh, what is it? Ace Showbiz, I think. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. One is, is Ace Showbiz. Yeah. They have a, a video embedded in their article. It's just like a three minute little featurette with Neil Gaiman uh, talking to the camera and uh, like a voiceover narration as you kind of see him. Um, over in Iceland, and he talks about how he came up with the idea of American Gods. He actually visits the place that gave him the initial kernel of an idea for American Gods, and uh, it's pretty interesting. I, I like that a lot. I had you watch it prior to recording, so you know what did you think yeah. of that of that little you know three minute featurette clip? It was great, and especially the fact that we just finished chapter by chapter um, in the postscript, where which ended in this very place. Uh, God, it's Icelandic title that I'm not even trying to pronounce. Rajavik? Something like that, yeah. yeah it shouldn't, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I love that, that we actually got to see, like, this is where, you know, it all 
in the book it's the end, but in for Neil Gaiman it was completely the beginning. Uh, that's where he got the inspiration, um, specifically this Viking museum that was there. The only thing that was open on a Sunday afternoon <laughs> because it's such a small town and everyone closes. Because, uh, you know, it's Sunday. That's, you know, the day of rest for your you know, religions. and So it's kind of serendipitous that this is where it led Neil Gaiman to you know, get that inspiration. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it was cool. You know, uh, I mentioned how there's an audiobook version of this, so you can go to Audible. There's two audiobook versions of American Gods. One is the 25th, not the 25th, why did I say that? It's like the, <laughs> you're English yeah, today. <laughs> uh, 10th anniversary of uh, the book coming out. And it has a full cast of people doing the voices, which is pretty cool. Uh, there's also the original version. Now, obviously, this was created, I believe, before like Audible. Like it was just probably recorded around 2000, you know, around the time that it came out, actually. Uh, somewhere around 2001, maybe 2002, something like that. Because at the very end of the, of the audiobook, you can listen to a like 45, I think 45 minute, 30 to 45 minute conversation with Neil Gaiman. And he talks about, yeah. you know, coming to America, you know, living in the Midwest and, and just becoming engrossed by what he saw and just being someone who was from a different uh, culture, different country, and what it was like to be kind of transplanted here by his own choice, but still transplanted here. And, you know, what effect that had on him as a person. And then, of course, he talks about, you know, coming up with American Gods and, and kind of the genesis of the whole thing. So, um, yeah, it's really interesting. So if you have a chance to listen to that, if, you, if you're looking to, you know, uh, check something out. That's a really great audiobook. And the original version is what you want if you want to listen to that, uh, you know, nice little conversation. That uh, it's like an interview kind of thing, actually. So, but it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it is cool that you know he himself has like an immigration story, and American Gods is all about you know immigration to America, and you know, it's something that we can all relate to. I mean, there's not a single person that doesn't have like a family member who is an immigrant or a friend or, you know, their own spouse. I mean, I can speak personally. My spouse is from America and I made him move <laughs> to Canada. <laughs> so everyone, like, it's something that can touch everybody, which is just right. wonderful. Yeah. There's a universality here of the whole, the whole concept, exactly. which anyone can identify with. They don't have to have done it themselves. Like you said, they could have had a family member and that definitely is, uh, like you said, a theme, an idea that uh, everybody can kind of latch on to when they're reading this book or listening to it, if that's the way you like to consume your books. All right. Uh, there's also another article here. It's like 11 things to know about American gods. And uh, I wanted to run through this uh, before we, we move on here, just because even though there isn't really a lot here that we probably don't already know, uh, we'll just go through the 11 and uh, we can kind of touch on it if we feel like we have anything to add. So so the, the, yeah. the 11 things, the number 11 on this list is uh, that uh, Mike Green and Brian Fuller uh, are the showrunners for the show. So it's, it's like, oh boy, really? <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, but, but, I mean, they have to look at it from somebody who might not know what's going on. Yeah. Not knowing the Brian Fuller world, which is a shame. Those people exist. Well, I mean, what? They probably won't after this show explodes. But I can see people who maybe didn't watch Pushing Daisies, didn't watch Wonderfalls, uh, Dead Like Me, or 
or Hannibal. Yes. Hannibal. Hey. Yeah, which is just a shame. <laughs> you have to watch Hannibal, every one of you. Uh, the second one, this is number 10, is that Neil Gaiman has been very much involved in the show. Now, we touched on this before, uh, but it's worth noting, I think, for people that maybe haven't listened to some of the past episodes, if you're just kind of like listening to some of the newer stuff and you maybe don't, maybe don't know some of what's been already talked about or some of the more pertinent information behind the scenes... Um, Neil Gaiman isn't just attaching his name uh, like like Tolkien-esque to this whole thing where it's like, oh, I'm not involved at all, but uh, put my name above the title. You know, this is uh, someone who is very involved in the adaptation. He's been consulted uh, quite a bit. He's been, I think, in the mix of things, really helping shape this show. So uh, what do you think about that? I really love that he's so involved with the show. Like, I mean, you get to have the actual author's touch into it, which is something that you know, you don't often get. I mean, Hannibal's a perfect example. I mean, the author hasn't even watched the TV show, and it's a shame because it's such an incredible adaptation. Uh, but there's some authors that just won't even t- look at somebody else's adaptation and doesn't care. Or, or they might just, you know, take too much pride in their work that they don't want you know, to see anybody else's take on it, which is fine, but it's really refreshing to have an author that wants to have his hands real deep into the adaptation and, you know, being able to give it real life from his perspective. And I think that's great. Well, I think so. I I think I'd rather have the author involved than not involved at all, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, they have, you know, it's their world. I mean, it's their view that we've fallen in love with. They should absolutely be involved. Um, I think it's a shame when they're not. Yeah. Uh, the cast is stacked. Uh, we, <laughs> we know the cast is stacked. There's an abundance of talent here on display. Uh, truly oh, yeah. great veterans of the acting world. People that have been doing this for 30, 40, you know, 50 years uh, or better that uh, have really kind of lent their greatness to hopefully making this a great show. So that, I think, is undisputed. There's an amazing array of talent here, and I think we're going to see that on display when we you know, watch the premiere and uh, the first season in general. Oh, yeah. I mean, Ian McShane alone, like, that's such an incredible actor to have as a part of a TV show, let alone this TV show. Like, he's always does great work. I mean... Holy moly, Cloris Leachman, amazing. Uh, Peter Stormare, uh, Orlando Jones. I mean, it's just like the greatest ensemble cast I have ever seen. Like, I am so excited to see them all working together. It's going to be awesome. Oh, definitely. Uh, The lead duo are perfect. So Ian McShane, of course, uh, if you're trying to figure out where have I seen this guy or... Everywhere. (laughs) Deadwood uh, being probably his most famous example of a role that he's done in the past, which has led to great acclaim. Uh, He's been in, you know, an abundance of of great shows over the years. Then you have uh, Ricky Whittle, who gained prominence on The 100. So, yeah. I mean, I think that that is a really great, you know, kind of opening duo of two characters who just exude this kind of intelligence and charisma uh, with Ian McShane. He's just a great actor. 
period. And with Ricky Whittle, I mean, he's young. He's definitely got a lot of talent. Uh, there's no, no disputing that. Uh, but this is actually like the biggest role for him he's ever had, without a doubt. And uh, I so far, I've heard that the commitment to this role is um, something that has been great to watch because you can tell he's really invested here. Yeah, I mean, he I've seen him on the 100 and he's great, but even just in like the trailers and hearing him talk in this, like I I think this is going to be like that huge role that really pushes him into the acting career cuz or into the acting world cuz you know, the 100 is great, but it's not as huge as I think this is going to be at all. Like I think this is going to be, you know, the next Game of Thrones or you know the next you know, Walking Dead but better than that. Yeah. Uh, number seven here it is the old gods in the new so basically this is just a rundown of uh, you know what the show is basically about which is uh, all the old gods of mythology versus the new gods that uh, rule the lives of the people uh, in everyday life whether it be drugs or te- technology or you know whatever they may be uh, these new gods are you know, essentially worshipped in a way that these older gods used to, you know, a long, long time ago. So, yeah, that's basically just a rundown. Yeah, Yeah, it's basically in the trailer. (laughs) Like, old gods, new gods, like, that's what this is going down. Well, I mean, you got to give that kind of information because, like I said, people don't necessarily know what this is all about. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Definitely, it's nice that they are giving this rundown because you've seen people who aren't even going to read American Gods and just want to see the show, which is totally fine, but you definitely want to have an idea of what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. Uh, next one, number six, what we've seen so far. Again, it's kind of like a rundown of all the material that we've seen, the, the two trailers that have come out, the uh, material um, advertising-wise that has been thrown out, the posters, all of that. So it's kind of like just... Hey, this is all the stuff that's come out about American Gods in case you want to kind of catch up. Yeah. Yeah, precisely, which is fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, it only covers the first third of the novel. Yeah, so... right up to before the House of the Rock. Well, yeah. We know your thoughts on that, right? <laughs> because you, you. Yeah. Yeah, because the House on the Rock is what you want to see, so, like, the most right yeah in real life and in this show because i know they're going to make it look incredible in the show because it's a very interesting place uh, but yeah. uh, i can't really argue too much because they are giving us the show <laughs> right uh there's going to be next one is uh more material a lot more material than what's in the book we, we do know that uh, there's some other sources that they're getting material from. Of course, no Gaiman being a primary source to find out information and to ask him what his thoughts are. We know that Laura is going to get a much bigger role than she had in the book. And we also uh, know that other characters will be playing a bigger role, like uh, uh, Nancy. So Mr. Nancy, uh, he'll be getting uh, a bigger role. So what do you think there? Oh, I'm really happy that Mr. Nancy gets a bigger role because, like, he, in the book, you know, he pops up here and there, and he does have a pretty big role, but, I mean, it's nothing to, you know, what I would want most. Like, I would want a lot more than that because, I mean, you have a character like Mr. Nancy, but also an actor like Orlando Jones. Yeah, make him quite prominent. That would be wonderful. 
Um, next one, a Marvel Universe of Gods. So, you know, kind of you have the Avengers, you have all that. Uh, you've got Thor, things like, you know, in that universe. But this is a different universe. It's more based on, you know, gods that have existed in, I mean, Thor did, you know, and other gods in Marvel Universe <laughs> too. But this is all gods that, you know, have actually existed, minus the, the new gods, of course. So they just kind of do yeah. a rundown of how this is like very similar and how Marvel has their universe and all the heroes and gods that are in it. And, and this has, you know, all the gods in different religions and different cultures. Yeah, it's, it's great. And I mean, it's really cool that this is the time and age of gods. I mean, you have Marvel and you have like, uh, M. Night Shyamalan's coming with these, you know, strange, his version of gods, I guess use quotations, but he has like the potential to actually break into this world of like strange godlike people with um, superpowers and for also to have this show coming out at the same time i mean this truly is the age of gods and a lot of them right and we got the potential for spin-offs you know kind of like you know thor has his own movies iron man you know they have all their own stuff and with american yep. gods we've already heard about the potential of having some of these gods get their own maybe possibly own shows so they're you know if this is really popular and it's huge then we could see other shows uh, with people kind of having their own storylines that kind of weave in and out of the American Gods TV show. So, Yeah, I mean, a Mr. Nancy spinoff would just be wonderful. and I mean, I would watch that religiously. Yes. Uh, I think we'd all check in on that because he's awesome. So. Yeah. Uh, the premiere went down well at the South by Southwest. That's number two on the list here. And we do know that the premiere... Uh, was very well received. There was a lot of stuff on Twitter about how good it was, how faithful it was, but how the update uh, to the book was excellent. And uh, so I think it's very promising. And I think I can imagine stars, Neil Gaiman, Brian, everybody is probably just ecstatic by what they got as an, an initial reaction, which was you know brimming with positivity. Yeah, I mean, it's great to have so many interviews that are coming out and that are so positive. I mean, it makes us feel good. The, the listeners and you know, waiters and watchers who are you know waiting for this to come out and to hear that it's being well received is always a good thing. Sure. Uh, the number one is that uh, the next big fantasy series. So the stipulation here, of course, is uh, you've got Game of Thrones, obviously, which stands, I think, heads and shoulders above, you know, certainly any fantasy series that has ever come out. On TV, I'm not gonna say movies, <laughs> okay, because uh, I know I'll probably get attacked and vilified for that. Um, although I feel like <laughs> you can stack up pretty well with just about anything. So, uh, yeah. however, uh, this could be the heir apparent, really. This could be the one show which manages to kind of take that baton, which Game of Thrones is kind of handing out soon. You know, it's almost done. It's got this year and next year. Uh, this could be the show that kind of gets that baton and continues the the great uh, tradition, which is a new one, but of great shows that are based on fantasy, which have done the novels and uh, adapted materials justice. So yeah, yeah, the source material. Yeah, is justice, absolutely. I mean. So yeah, I think it's a it's a great possibility, and if the initial reaction is anything to base it on, it could happen. 
Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> we all wanted to. Okay. Uh, so that's it for this uh, article. Um, just thought it was kind of fun to kind of go down through and see what they had to say. You know, not a lot of material we haven't covered, but kind of a nice rundown, really, of everything most people need to know going into the show. Okay. Yeah. So for today's discussion, uh, well, we have two things. We have a discussion here we're going to start, and uh, we have a profile of, uh, double, actually a double profile of uh, two gods, which would be Mr. Ibis and Mr. Jaquel, who are actually uh, Ibis being uh, Thoth and Anubis being Mr. Jaquel. So I'm going to do a brief rundown of uh, the history of their characters and uh, maybe how cool it was to see the adaptation within American Gods, what they took from, you know, the stories and the, uh, you know, just the general background of two gods and how they incorporated some of those details or Gaiman incorporated them into the book. So we'll talk about them here shortly. So for the main topic this week, I wanted to ask you a question, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you fear about the adaptation to American Gods? And I stopped short of saying fear uh, because I didn't want to scare you too much, like making you think like you have to talk about spiders or something that you're really afraid of. Uh, <laughs> what was going to come out of my mouth? I'm like, yeah, uh, spiders? Fear? <laughs> spiders. Okay, yeah. Um, hey, Mr. Nancy is a spider, so. Yeah, but his ah. spider's pretty cute. All right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's all purple and green. It's cute. All right. So, is there anything that you're afraid of when it comes to American Gods, the adaptation, this TV show? You know, we we talk often about how successful we think it's going to be. You know, how the actors are great for the roles, how the showrunner is Brian Fuller and certainly Michael Green assisting. It's a great duo in the behind the scenes. You feel like they can steady the ship uh, pretty well and deliver a you know, kick-ass show. But the question is, what are you afraid of, if anything, when it comes to this adaptation uh, of American Gods? For the show itself and everything that's involved, I have zero fears. But I do have, you know, the same fears that we always had for Hannibal. And that's just that there won't be enough viewers. Uh, there won't be enough attention. Uh, that it, It's already been renewed for season two, but you know, that could get it revoked. Who knows if people don't like it? You know, you have all these insane people that get offended by everything. And there's lots to be offended by in this if you, you know, take a good hard look. But that's my only fear is that people won't receive it well or, you know, it doesn't get renewed for a third season. And it just falls through the cracks. And that's my only fear. Anything to do with the TV series, I am fully confident in the people that are running this, that they'll do it justice and well. It's just people that worry me. <laughs> well, it's not like we've been burned before, right? Kind of. <sighs> so kind of. Times. Right. I mean, look, Pushing Daisies uh, had a lot of momentum when it came out. It was actually critically very well liked. Um, it had a pretty good audience. Not a great size audience. I think somewhere around like maybe 10 million people viewed the show. 10 to 11, week to week, I think, there for some time. And then the writer's strike strike hit. And uh, once that ended, uh, unfortunately, Pushing Daisies could not reclaim that audience. And uh, the bad thing is it couldn't, even over some time, manage to find their way back into 
the homes of people. And uh, when that happens, of course, with the show, that probably costs a little bit of money. I think yeah. what you get is a show that's uh, short life is or shelf life is pretty short. And it's unfortunate because I really liked uh, Pushing Daisies. And so uh, we know that that didn't end well. Uh, Hannibal is a show that in certain respects never should have happened. Right. Because the network that that actually did the show, uh, this wasn't their general cup of tea, but all credit to to them to uh, stand behind the show. Unfortunately, after three seasons, they had to exit. Yeah, and it's just—I mean—they were losing money every single season. I think Hannibal had only maybe two point one million viewers, and that is not a lot for a show that takes a lot of money to make. I mean, they weren't given a very big budget, but they did wonderful with what they were given. But I mean, it had the potential to be so much more. Right. I mean, I think. The highest the show ever had was something like 4.5 or 4.6 million people. Yeah, so that's just not good numbers. No, if they could have averaged 5 million, they probably would have been brought back, but yeah. Yeah. Okay, so yes, yeah, so basically I understand what you're saying here, which is the fear that with the track record uh, Brian Fuller has, it, it's going to extend the curse here. Um, it's a valid fear. It definitely is, um, because we... We've been burned before, like we said. So the question is, do we think that actually will happen? Well, we don't know. And like you said, there is controversial material in this show and in this book. I mean, if they adapt it pretty uh, faithfully, there'll definitely be some material that is going to offend people. And given the world that we live in and how just the slightest provocation can set people off, uh whether it be you know cultural taboos or religious anything religious uh, and how that can uh, be viewed through a, through a prism of, of hate uh, it it's definitely primed for uh, some probably some backlash maybe somewhere and whether that actually means that the show itself is going to suffer uh, we don't know you know we really don't but the the second season renewal I think certainly eases that. The people up, you know, in stars, you know, the the higher ups, the the network executives, they know what they've got, and they're not going to renew it for season two if they don't feel like it's worth it. You know, there's no way because this is going to be a much more expensive show to produce. You know, this show is you know sixty, I think sixty to seventy million, I think, to produce this show to make it. So yeah. this is not a cheap show by any stretch. No, it's not Game of Thrones, and no, it's not The Crown. But if it's really successful, if it's like Game of Thrones successful kind of thing, uh, or even close to that, the budget will go up. <laughs> so it, it could one day hit the $100 million mark. We don't know. But for now, still, 60 to $70 million is still a lot of movie, or a lot of, a lot of movie, a lot of money. <laughs> a lot of money. Yes, can't talk today. Today's mm, just your yeah. day. It's uh, a lot of money. So... There's a lot on the line, so if they're willing to, to uh, renew it for season two, it must mean that what they got is something they feel is worth it. Worth the money, worth the probable backlash in some people's minds. Uh, they're going to be angry, and they're going to write in, and they're going to post comments, and yeah. So it will happen, probably. But they, oh, but yeah, the, definitely. The, I think the overriding... Uh, reaction up above in the the network executives 
and everything that they view is that it's um, a good show and they want to bring it back. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really happy that they got that second season. I mean, it eases a lot of worries because, I mean, when that first season of Hannibal came out, how long did we wait for a second Months. season to hear Months. that it was going to be? Yeah, it was forever. We didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, we really didn't know. And it's kind of amazing that that amount of time went and the cast still stuck around for season they two. They didn't have to. That was pretty they amazing. They didn't have to. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, because, like, look at Friday Night Lights. I mean, we just talked about how, you know, season one, they didn't know if they are going to get renewed for season two, and tons of actors just fled yeah. <laughs> for other things, for more stability. But these guys stuck it out. Sure. Yeah, um, my fears. I, I'm not really fearing anything when it comes to the ratings, because I feel like the ratings are going to be pretty good for this. I don't, I'm not going to make some kind of guess as to what the ratings will be, but I do think the ratings are going to be pretty good for this. The, the hype that it's been getting, the word of mouth, uh, I'm sure critics are now uh, starting to, to watch these episodes. They usually get the first three or four episodes pretty, pretty early so that they can kind of give a consensus as to how good this show is. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if that actually happened here as well. So, yeah. but my fear, I think, is more along the lines of, uh, as this is to say, network interference. And I, and I guess it's not yeah. so much about this year, but you know, next year. Because if you go back and you look at the history of Twin Peaks, for instance, um, <laughs> Twin Peaks is coming back. I'm super excited for that. So, yeah, that's going to be great. But the history of that show is that after the first season there was a lot of pressure because it was so successful. So many people were watching Twin Peaks back when it came out. And uh, all of a sudden, because they had a hot property and they didn't know what to do with it and and everything, there was a ton of pressure and a ton of network interference when it came to Twin Peaks. And uh, ultimately, what they demanded the showrunners to do and everything that happened really doomed the show to a certain extent. And... Uh, so network interference is something I've always hated. You know, if something comes out and it's successful, why are you interfering? I don't understand. I know there's now stakes involved right. that people are actually paying attention, but then people, like, they get involved, and there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Things just do not end up well 99% of the time when you have all that network interference, there's script notes, there's we want this to happen and this to happen, we want this character to be featured more prominently this year because they're so popular now, so now you're going to make sure that so much of the time goes towards you know centering on that character and it's stuff like that that ruins movies and TV shows. And so I'm, I'm hoping that the executives just say, hey, you do your thing, you know, as long as the ratings are there, as long as the quality is there, then we'll be behind you. Uh, you guys just do what you do. I'm sure we'll love it. That's what I'd like to happen. The problem yeah. is it just does not happen that often. So. <laughs> yeah, and you don't want a situation like Twin Peaks where you get two seasons and then have to wait 20 years for a third one. <laughs> no. That's not okay. Not. So, yeah, I think... <laughs> but beyond that, my fears are... Not that much. I, I I think the showrunners, obviously, we know who they are, and I think they're going to do a great job with this show. Um, other fears? I, I guess... Um, 
I don't want them to shy away from anything. You know? Yeah, right. if you're going to show it, show yeah, it. On stars, they Commit can do to it. That. They don't have to worry about it. But that being said, that doesn't mean... It, it's not about being faithful to the book, the adaptation. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to hew clo so close to the book that you virtually can't tell the difference between the two. I'm not talking about that. I mean, if there's something in the book that you want to show, they shouldn't be afraid to show it. You know, regardless, and we know some of the scenes yeah. in American Gods, you know, pretty graphic at Bill times. Quiz at the uh, gin. Um, yeah. Right. Um, Bast the cat. Yeah. You know, the, the dream with, with uh, that was pretty crazy. Um, so, yeah, look, <laughs> it's going to be a fun time. I'm going to be excited to see it. I just hope that they don't shy away from anything. I've seen uh, The Golden Compass when that came out as a movie, you know, years ago, it was like 10 years ago. Uh, I watched that and I just thought all the money they put in this movie and it could have been so much better if they didn't shy away from it, from all the stuff that was in that book that people could have found controversial. People did find controversial. Yeah. I didn't get a second movie yeah, because it made, of it. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, yeah, there was a lot of controversy leading up to it anyway. But the overall quality wasn't where it should have been. And I think that had to do something with the script and not the cast. Uh, but that's another story and another thing to get into. But I just hope that they don't shy away from anything. Just tell the story you want to tell. Don't worry about what everybody else thinks. And you'll probably end up with a really good show because of it. So, yeah, there's always uh, going to be really people that are offended by your breathing or God knows what. You just got to commit. You want to show something just go for it and you know the majority of the people are gonna love it and appreciate you for doing something so bold and everybody else can you know, just whatever <laughs> f yeah. off go fly kite go fly yeah. kite exactly <laughs> <laughs> all right let's move into the last bit of our podcast here today and that's gonna be our profile uh profiles of two gods and as i said before it's mr ibis and mr jaquel uh Mr. Ibis being actually Thoth, who is a god um, who has a very big influence, or had a very big influence, could still very well have a big influence, who knows, uh, on the Egyptian culture. Okay, so he was a god of a lot of things. <laughs> a lot. We're talking, I'm going to list them here. Uh, god of knowledge, uh, the moon, measurement, wisdom, the alphabet, records, thought, intelligence, meditation, the mind, logic, reason, reading, hieroglyphics, magic, secrets, and scribes and writing. That's quite an Just, array of know. stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. So <laughs> Mr. Ibis, uh, he did a lot. Got a good apparently. resume. <laughs> to say the least, I guess if you lose out on being the god of one of these things, you have some backups. Yeah, exactly. So, um, he's often depicted with the head of an ibis or a baboon. Hmm. Female counterpart is uh, Shishat. His wife was uh, Mat, and Thoth's temple was located in the city of uh, Kamun, which is later called Hermopolis Magna. Uh, played a major role in Egyptian life as he came to represent many, many things, as we mentioned above. He's credited with creating the 365-day calendar, was originally a moon god, and is credited with being a scribe of the underworld. Very cool. So what do you think there? 
what'd you think of that nice little list there of things that he did uh well apparently he did <laughs> but he was credited with doing and what he represented to uh people who lived back then just in their daily lives yeah he's definitely one of the cooler like i don't know like not cooler but like more interesting gods because you know he's got quite an, quite an array of you know stuff he's you know been noted for and especially that last one you know it in the way it's portrayed in the book uh it's great and i'm really interested to see what they do with that but it's pretty interesting because you have so many gods that have something to do with death and i particularly like this one yeah he uh he's one of the two deities uh, being uh matt who who stood on either side of Ra's boat, the god, Ra being, you know, the major, like, like the Zeus, I think, essentially, of uh, that yeah. culture. Um, the major cult that kind of was centered around him was Hermopolis. Uh, and interestingly enough, he had no parents. He was self-created. Interesting. Right. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, most of them had, you know, parents of some kind, but he's like, nope, just going to pop into creation. That's fine. Uh, yeah, I like this. If you look at Mr. Ibis in the books and you compare him to his actual, you know, realish life counterpart, I guess, um, he actually bears a lot of similar, similar similarities because uh, we do know, obviously, from the book that Ibis wrote a lot. You know, he wrote a lot of stories uh, for himself, really. But he's obviously very intelligent. You know, we saw that from from in the book. He, uh, somebody who uh, had a lot of a lot of wisdom and obviously a lot of knowledge. Scribes and writing makes a lot of sense. And uh, I think I always felt he was a little subservient to uh, Mr. Jaquel. I don't know, did you pick up on that in the book where you felt like Mr. Jaquel was kind of like maybe the leader of the two? I always felt the opposite way. way. I always felt really? Ibis huh. was... Interesting. He was a little more quiet and you know, into into his own writings and stuff like that, but I felt like uh, Jaquel was always the follower. Hmm, interesting. I guess I don't know why I thought the opposite. Um, I think there was a scene early on where shadow first was introduced to mr jacquel and i don't know i almost felt like ibis was kind of tiptoeing around around jacquel for a bit there i don't know i'd have to go back and reread the scene and and take a look at it again but that was my initial thoughts on kind of their relationship but i could be completely wrong or All right you know who knows All right or maybe it's neither <laughs> and they're both on equal ground who knows um okay so uh anubis so mr jacquel interestingly enough the god of cemeteries and embalming that's cool <laughs> that's so right. metal <laughs> right uh, associated with mummification and the afterlife his head was initially an egyptian canid or golden jackal uh, but is now known to be an African golden wolf, which is pretty sweet. Uh, started out as a protector of graves before becoming a lord of the underworld, uh, who was then usurped, passed on by Osiris. He kind of took over the mantle of being like the lord of the underworld. 
happens all the time. <laughs> you know, like God, like, oh, I'm the God of X. And then, you know, 200 years later, that pushed aside and given a lesser rule. And then this God then becomes, you know, the rule you once had. The dead are far more peaceful. Uh, play- yeah. Played a big role as a god who ushered souls into the afterlife and attended the weighing of the heart and, uh, you know, put the heart on the scale. And, you know, we, we saw that yep. in the book. See if it weighed more than a feather, all your seed or all your deeds and sins and all the things you've done. Um, played little here. This is interesting. Played little to no role in Egyptian myths. Despite being one of the oldest gods in the entire pantheon of Egyptian, you know, lore, he almost wasn't in any of the Egyptian myths and stories, which is kind of weird, you know, because... He's so well known, especially today. Like, if there's anything about Egyptian culture that you know, it's Anubis and Horus and not not much after that. (laughs) He's one of the mains. Right. But you have Thoth, who, who was... You know, probably in tons of stories. You know, he had a huge role in their culture. He represented so many things. And that you have Anubis, who, like you said, is probably more well known than Thoth. And yet, at the same time, he basically had no role in their stories. It's kind of weird. I, I don't quite understand why. I guess there's only so many you know stories you can tell, and you got to fit certain ones in where you can. But at the same time, it's like for somebody who was in the the lives of these people and had been around for so long, he was just kind of like shunned a little bit. Like, oh, we're going to set you off here to the side. We're going to bring in, you know, all these other gods uh, that we pray to. gets lost. They're going to be the... Right. So uh, his female counterpart was uh, Anput, I guess. Anput. Yeah, (laughs) that's how it's written. Can't say I'm going to say it right, but Anput. And so, yeah, it's interesting um the the god himself and, and you can look at mr jaquel and if you look at kind of what i threw out there yeah i mean makes sense right he he's a mortician <laughs> you know he it's a pretty awesome autopsies <laughs> it right and uh, i love the adaptation and what i'm getting down to is i like the adaptations that we saw in the book it took the essence of these gods i guess and applied them to a character who was a pretty good modern interpretation of them yeah you know i mean obviously you don't see all the details because you don't need to and they're not that big of a character those characters aren't that big but you see enough of the qualities and what they represented in egyptian uh lore and the religion that manages to translate well yeah. you know into the book the core you know. pieces of the gods back then uh still hold true in modern form in the form of themselves currently right uh so the major cults for for anubis were lycopolis huh. and sinopolis so those are the two major cults that kind of endorsed i think or or kind of raised him up as such and egyptian there were three different uh kingdoms of egyptian like kind of like their culture and their religion there was the old kingdom there was the middle kingdom and there was the new kingdom and as you can imagine you know he was of the old kingdom really and uh really old um let's see what else 
Um, parents. Uh, ne nepites, pites, <laughs> and uh, Set or Osiris. So, yeah. So that was kind of like where he was. He had parents, at least. <laughs> to have come from. Yeah. Well, he wasn't self-created apparently. So. However, that right. happened. What, we, but, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Mm, nope, ibis. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was the the dynastic period of you know Egyptian culture, which was around thirty one hundred BC to like twenty six, you know, eighty six or so BC. Um, you know, he was kind of shown to be someone who had the form of uh, a jackal. You know, like he he turned into a jackal, like the whole body it wasn't just the head that we see today with like the body of a human, and you know then you have the head of a jackal. So, Sorry. you know he went through some he went through some changes. Hold on a sec, my cat's got something. He's gonna okay. grab it. <laughs> okay. Ugh, I broke a martini glass yesterday, and so many pieces shattered and. Thought I got them all, but I could hear them playing something in the kitchen. Sure enough, it's a big shard of glass. <sighs> ah, yeah, that's scary. <laughs> yeah, especially okay. two cats that would eat it in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, better to be safe. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, in terms of his parents, uh, Ra is of the the old kingdom because he in the old kingdom he was like the son of Ra, whereas the middle and new kingdom was, uh, you know, uh, Osiris and. Uh, Nepiths or sorry pronunciation so many people, names <laughs> you know it's kind of difficult but you know anyway uh you know I'm not a master of Egyptian culture by any stretch but anyway it's pretty interesting you know you look at these profiles you see where they came from and it's such a deep and rich you know culture with so many myths and stories and ideas and responsible for so many things that having since carried on to you know future uh, generations and into kind of modern you know culture and everything they they did so many things egyptians did and uh so it's pretty interesting yeah truly all right so i think that is uh it for for this week um i think uh if we have anything else i believe that's everything we had on our list on our docket yeah now we're just playing the waiting game you know <laughs> so many weeks left just not many many i think three Three weeks. Three weeks. Yep. yep. So exciting. All right, everyone. Uh, next week, we'll be doing another profile of one of the gods, American gods. And so we'll look forward to that. Hopefully, we'll get more news, uh, a little more news. We don't need a ton, but we'll get some more stuff, I'm sure, between now and next week. So uh, look forward to that, of course. And uh, just look forward to another episode of American Gods. Absolutely. All right, everyone. Have a good week, and we'll catch you in the next one. Night, godlings.